0: She's a business mogul, number one, and wellness expert. How can I help? And now Chantel Ray and her amazing guests are here to guide you on your wellness journey. Time to level up. Welcome to the Waste Away podcast.
1: Hey guys, welcome to today's episode. And we have Dr. Jockers here with us, and we are going to be talking all about fasting, all about sugar, all about keto. And all kinds of fun things today. So, Dr. Jocker is welcome.
0: Great to be on with you, Chantel. Love what you're doing here.
1: I love what you're doing, and I love that you really incorporate so much about. I feel like some people really talk about the fasting side, but you add so much more into the health side of things, and talking about the gut microbiome and all of that. So, let's talk for just a second about. How you feel that fasting does help the gut microbiome, and if you've seen anyone that it hasn't helped with it?
0: Yeah, it's a really, a really great question. That's actually how I discovered fasting myself. So I had irritable bowel syndrome, and I got to the point actually where I lost thirty pounds. And <clears throat> for me, I'm thin, so I was a personal trainer, and I was eating you know six, seven meals a day, five thousand calories a day just to maintain my weight. And I thought I had to do that. I had a protein shake before I went to bed. And then I'd wake up in the morning, had to have like a big, you know, bowl of Quaker oatmeal, squares, things like that. And so I was always worried I was going to lose weight. And I started losing weight because my gut just got really sick. I started having constipation, diarrhea, couldn't digest nutrients, started to have an orthostatic hypotension where i go from sitting to standing and I would feel really, really dizzy. And it was around that time that I discovered. Uh, Dr. Mercola, Dr. Joe Mercola, and he actually had a book out called The No-Grain Diet. And I started following this sort of no-grain diet, and uh, I started feeling better. And um, you know, along the way, I, I just noticed that I felt more satiated. And I was in graduate school, and I had 7 a.m. classes, and I was like, you know what? I just don't even want to eat. So I would just wait to eat until I got naturally got hungry, and I would drink a lot of water in the morning. And I would often just fast till, you know, typically three or four o'clock sometimes. Um, and I would eat in like a four hour eating window from, let's say, three o'clock to like seven or eight o'clock. And I would, I would still take down a ton of calories, but I just felt great. Like, and I was rebuilding my, I was gaining my weight back. My brain came alive. I, I went to the top of my class in graduate school. And I just felt the best I had felt probably my entire life. And I didn't even, I had never even heard of the term intermittent fasting, but I literally, you know, basically overcame leaky gut and uh, irritable bowel syndrome and all the different issues that I was dealing with through this nutrition and fasting strategy. And so the reason why fasting can be so impactful for the microbiome and the gut is number one, it actually takes mechanical stress off the gut. So if your gut is damaged, which anybody that has chronic inflammation, we know that chronic inflammation, the root of it is going to take place in your gut because when your gut, your, your particularly your small intestine, it's only one cell wall thick and it can easily break and tear when, we're, when we constantly have mechanical stress, when we have a lot of food irritants and things that drive inflammation. And so um, the first step is taking mechanical stress off the gut gives it time to rest and heal, kind of like a sprained ankle. So if you have a sprained ankle, you rest it, right? You don't go out and run on it and jump on it. And that just comes intuitively. We understand that. Well, it's kind of the same with our gut. If we're having inflammation, if we're having issues with our gut, we've got to rest it a bit. And that's what fasting allows. So that's number one. Number two is that, and this is more counterintuitive because when we think about the gut microbiome, most people think about what we need to eat to feed. The microbiome. And microbiome researchers, you know, they talk about prebiotics and polyphenols and things like that that help support the gut microbiome. And all of that is true. But actually, intermittent fasting has been shown by taking food away for a period of time, it's actually been shown to increase the diversity of the gut microbiome. And diversity is a measurement of the overall health and well being of the individual. So, microbiome researchers have found that. That's really the number one measure that they look at is the overall amount of different types of species in the gut. And the more diversity, the healthier the overall individual is, lower levels of inflammation, metabolic disease that they're going to encounter. And in particular, there's one keystone bacteria that they also really look, like to look at, and that's the Ackermansia mucinophilia. Mucinophilia means mucus loving. And so this lives in the mucus lining, which protects the that one cell wall, that intestinal those that intestinal lining, it protects. It sits right above it, and that's where roughly you know eighty percent of our immune system is. Is in that gut mucosa, and acromantia lives in there, and it can actually eat the mucus and live off of the mucus. And when it does that, it actually stimulates the goblet cells in the uh, you know intestinal uh, cell to actually create. More mucus, more healthier, stress-resilient mucus. And that's really key. And fasting, see, what happens is when we're constantly eating, like I was, you know, six, seven meals a day, and we're constantly grazing, we are primarily feeding. We have kind of two, two classifications of feeders in our gut. We have primary feeders and we have secondary feeders. The primary feeders are the ones that sit above the gut mucosa. The secondary feeders are the one that ones that sit and live inside of the gut mucosa. And so when we're constantly eating, we're primarily feeding the primary feeders. And when the primary feeders are are overgrowing, they crowd out the secondary feeders. So we end up with an overgrowth of these primary feeders and an undergrowth of the secondary feeders, particularly acromansia mucinophilia. And that is really important to understand because if we don't have acromansia, We're not going to produce a thick, strong uh, mucus lining, and that's going to make us more susceptible to leaky gut, chronic inflammation. On top of that, acromansia, when it consumes polyphenols from from the diet, so if we're consuming olive oil or blueberries or something like that that has polyphenols, if if acromansia, if we have enough population there, it will break down those polyphenols, particularly one called, um, well... Uh, ellagic acid is its favorite, which we find in astringent fruits like pomegranate, cranberries, muscadine grapes, things like that. And it will break down these polyphenols, particularly ellagic acid, and it will create something called urolithin A. And urolithin A gets into the intestinal lining and it stimulates mitophagy, which is the breakdown of old damaged dysfunctional mitochondria and the regeneration, so the, the, the recreation of these mitochondria, and actually making them new, young, strong, uh, more stress-resilient. And so it stimulates both mitophagy as well as mitochondrial biogenesis in these uh, intestinal cells, and that makes them more stress-resilient. And that's really the name of the game when it comes to keeping inflammation under control, when it comes to keeping our gut healthy, is we want very, very strong Stress-resilient intestinal cells. And again, the way that we do that is we support acromanium mucinophilia levels. And fasting the way that fasting works here, is it, it basically almost like deweeds a lot of these extra primary feeders, so it trims them down and allows the secondary feeders to grow. And the, the analogy I like to use is in my, in my yard here, I have an apple tree and a blueberry bush. And the apple tree, it, it's very it grows really, really easily, and it overgrows, and it crowds out the sun from getting to the blueberry bush. And so we have to actually trim back the, the apple tree every single year. We have to actually cut off branches, trim down branches, so that the blueberry bush will be able to, uh, you know, will be able to create fruit. Otherwise, we don't get any blueberries. And so we actually have to create physical damage to the apple tree. In order to have more fruit, right? In order to have a better harvest so that the blueberry bush will grow. Well, it's kind of the same thing in our gut. We need to trim back some of those primary feeders to allow the, the room and the opportunity for the secondary feeder, the acromanzia, to really grow. So it's able to do what it needs to do, which is help support the, uh, the, the, the um, gastric lining. So the mucosa in the lining, which is where the immune component of the gut is to keep pathogens under control, and then also to help strengthen the intestinal cell stress resiliency and integrity.
1: Well, I wanna read you two questions are actually from two different people. And uh, the first one's from Nicole and it says, did you see the medical medium on the downfall of intermittent fasting? I didn't listen to it only because I don't want to know. And yet, another thing that I like that he thinks is bad. I can't eat gluten, eggs, dairy, corn, soy, alcohol, okay. chocolate, and a host of other things. If I went full MM, which I'm assuming she means medical medium, I'd be left grazing in the yard. Oh, but then GMO grass, radi- radioactive rain, and pesticides. Here's a crazy thing. He says to throw away your luggage every time you fly because of the radiation. It's just too much. We have to live in the world. And then she kind of goes on. And then we have uh, another question that's kind of related to the same thing. She says, I'm feeling completely overwhelmed. I've listened to so many podcasts with people like Stephen Gundry, and he says no lectins. And another one says no histamines. And I listened to Dr. Mercola on how oxalates can damage your health. I can't eat gluten, dairy, soy, or chocolate. I'm feeling overwhelmed like I can't eat anything. If you say no histamines, no lectins, no oxalates, and then things that you think are healthy like avocado and spinach, and they're not because they're not good for your gut, I'm honestly getting over it, honestly. My gut is a complete mess. I'm totally overwhelmed. I feel like I can eat cauliflower and celery and some meat. And if I listen to all these people That would be all I could eat every day, all day. My body is completely inflamed and I have so much inflammation. Is there anything I can eat? And what supplements can help heal my gut? And she goes on, and I'm not going to kind of read it. But I love these two questions because honestly, I feel this way. I feel like, um, you know, my gut is not in great condition either. Um, And so I'm so glad that they both wrote this, you know, but if you kind of go, All right, I can't have this. I can't have that. You know, but but the way I look at it is, I have to look at my own body and see what do I feel not great with. Number one, but like you said, you've got to really heal that gut. So I'd love to hear, you know, what are some of these things that you go, look, let's completely get rid of these, but let's also fix your gut so you can add in some of these others. And I'd love to hear Mm -hmm. what your opinion is on. Yeah. lectins, histamines, oxalates, because those three are kind of the big words that are kind of coming up right now.
0: Yeah, for sure. You know, there's a lot of different buzzwords in the natural health world. And sometimes people kind of jump on, you know, like there's always like a new bad guy. Um, but the reality is that, you know, all of these kind of natural foods, humans can can live on those to a certain degree. And and for some individuals, they can handle a little bit more than than others when it comes to, you know, certain things. But you know, the ultra processed foods, of course, we need to, we need to take those out altogether because really, you know, they weren't designed, our our bodies aren't designed to really metabolize those properly. So the the three basic principles that I start people with are number one, you want to get, you want to reduce sugar and things that turn into sugars, right? So sugar and particularly grains, because grains really offer very little nutritional value, but they, they drive up your blood sugar and your insulin levels. So That's kind of the low-hanging fruit as far as what we want to remove. Sugars and grains. And then number two is getting rid of bad fats. So that's going to be all of our processed seed oils, canola oil, soybean oil, uh, peanut oil, cotton seed oil, canola oil. We want to get rid of those.
1: I I want you to stay right there because I think people we've been saying that and we've been talking about it on our podcast, Mm -hmm. but I don't think people really realize how bad these seed oils are and how much inflammation that they are really causing. So what will happen is they'll be eating all of these healthy things and then they have, they're adding in even nuts, you know, like one of the things that is really important is, is nuts. So like, if you look at, if you go and get, you can get roasted nuts that are just roasted without oil. So actually like uh, pistachios. Dry yeah. yeah Rye roasted pistachios. If you get like the wonderful Lee brand pistachios, those are great because they're mm-hmm. dry roasted. There's no additional oil. But what happens is, is these seed oils that are in, you know, you're thinking, okay, I'm going to have some almonds or some cashews, but they're in this terrible seed oil because they're roasted in that. And then you're like, Wait a minute. I don't feel good. I'm getting inflammation, blah, blah, blah. So I want to stay here for a minute about how bad these seed oils are, how much it puts you at risk for inflammation. And, you know, when you don't have that balanced ratio of omega six and omega three fatty acids, and kind of like the example I just gave you, right? Like I think nuts is, is a big one. Like when I think people, Eat roasted nuts, and they're not thinking, "Oh, I'm I'm eating something that's going to cause inflammation." It's it's kind of tied in there. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, I mean, the seed oils definitely they're 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 fragile oils. They create rampant amounts of oxidative stress in the system, and they also create uh, they they drive up basically uh, inflammatory mediators on the cell. And so all the fats we're consuming are gonna make up the cell membranes of our body. And these omega-6 will drive up more of, and also just trans fats and, and, and damaged uh, damaged fats in general. And the, a lot of these fats become damaged inside of our system, or they're already damaged when we, when we consume them. And so they're rancid. And so they, they will end up clogging up our cell membranes and driving up more inflammatory mediators. And so basically, when we consume that, we're driving up inflammation. So, we want to get rid of those seed oils. We want to really consume healthy fats extra virgin, olive oil. So, high polyphenol, olive oil, coconut oil, um, grass fed butter, eggs. If you're able to, if you you don't have a a sensitivity or an allergy to them, they're great. Um, Avocados, right? Avocado oil, things like that. So, those are our healthy fats. So, we get rid of the seed oils. We focus on those healthy fats.
1: Yeah. I would just want to say one thing. So one of the best things that you can do. So me and my husband like to go out to dinner at least like three nights a week, kind of like, you know, Friday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday are kind Mm -hmm. of the three nights we like to go out to eat. And almost all the restaurants that we go to will use olive oil. Like we're not going to go unless they do. But one of the things we tell the uh, waitress is like if I'm going to a different restaurant, let's say some friends are having a party or something like that, I will say, you know, I'm allergic to these other oils. So I'm very sensitive to vegetable oil, peanut oil, all these other oils. The only oil that I can have my food cooked in is olive oil. Like that's an allergy. Can you please make sure that I put, you know, that you put that on there? and. That's a really good hack. Do you have any of those if you are? Yeah, I think that's out? super
0: helpful. Yeah. Either that or, 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 or like real butter. Um, you know, definitely uh, that's, that's one of the things that we do. We'll, we'll just say a lot of times they have real butter on hand. So a lot of times the olive oil, I mean, it's good to say that a lot of times the, the waiters don't fully know. And a lot of times the olive oil is, you know, 50% olive oil or, you know, 70%. So, oftentimes you can get a better bet with with butter. So, oftentimes we'll tell them to just cook it in butter. And um we can bring our own olive oil. Like I really like fresh pressed extra virgin olive oil where it's fresh, cold processed, um and I try to get 1 to 2 tablespoons at least every single day of that, every day that I'm actually eating and I'm not fasting. Um, because it's so powerful. The the oleocanthals and the hydroxytyrosols in there, just really, really powerful as far as bringing down inflammation, supporting the gut microbiome, uh, supporting skin health, right? So really one of the best things you could be consuming is that fresh pressed, high polyphenol, extra virgin olive oil. I think that's powerful. Now, when it comes to you know histamines and oxalates and different things like that, So the first step is, you know, of course, we want to get rid of the processed foods. And and a lot of the people are asking that already are doing that. So then the next step we have to ask is, you know, we got to look at, uh, basically, we have to look, and usually what I'll do is a different test, three different tests. And these are all tests you can do at home. One is we call the steak test, where you get a a six ounce steak, ideally grass fed, but it doesn't necessarily have to be for this test. Um, And you consume the, the, the steak and all you put on it is maybe some salt, but nothing else. You don't need any vegetables with it. You consume your steak and then you see how your body feels over the next three, four hours. If you notice that so you have acid reflux, bloating, constipation, fatigue, um, anxiety, right? If you notice a lot of unwanted symptoms that you know are not associated, maybe you had stress afterwards, but let's sit, take all those other variables out. You just kind of have a normal afternoon you have that for lunch, you should feel great. Like you should feel really good. It's a very blood sugar stabilizing meal, a lot of good fats in there. You should feel great. If you don't, if you have these unwanted symptoms, then that's a sign your body is not producing enough stomach acid and perhaps not enough bile to be able to metabolize the meat that's in there. Okay. And then we need to address that. Why is your body not producing enough stomach acid? Why is it not producing? Perhaps enough bile. Okay. And, and I'll go into this, the, the, the solutions here in just a minute. But that's the first test, the steak test. The second test, we call the fat bomb test. The fat bomb test really stresses your ability to produce and get bile out of your liver bile ducts and also your gallbladder. And so for a lot of people, they have congested, uh, you know, they have uh, gallstones and they've got a lot of congestion in their bile ducts and very slow and sluggish bile flow. And that could be from a number of reasons. Hypothyroidism is a really common one. Parasites, gut dysbiosis can be another one. So what you do is you make a fat bomb and it, just go to Google and type in fat bomb. I've got recipes on my website as well, but you'll find a whole bunch of different recipes. It's basically like three, 400 calories of coconut oil and oftentimes chocolate. It's, it's pretty much 95% fat, okay? And you consume that. It's really popular in the keto world, you know, where people are teaching a high fat diet. And so you consume, you know, one or two of those, roughly about three to 400 calories of just, you know, more or less like pure fat. You could also do this with just butter. You could just basically take like uh, two or three tablespoons of just pure butter and just consume that and then see how you feel over the next few hours. Again, if you're noticing acid reflux, nausea, um, unwanted symptoms, a lot of times people will start itching. They get really, really itchy and that we call that puritis. And that's where there's liver dysfunction and the body's not able to Break down this bile, uh, or break down the the fat effectively, and it ends up creating this kind of itchy, itchy like response. Um, so if you're noticing any of these unwanted symptoms, fatigue, brain fog, so it could be like neurological, energy based uh, symptoms. It could be digestive symptoms. It could be kind of just rare symptoms like rash it, like a rash that pops up or itchiness or something like that. That's a sign you're not you're not getting the bile out. You really don't need much stomach acid to metabolize that. It's really all about the bile uh, to be able to emulsify that and break it down. So that's the next test. If you pass both of those tests, or if you don't, you can always do the broccoli test. That's the third test. So the broccoli test, you steam, uh, broccoli, right? You get a bowl of broccoli, you steam it. So you, you actually break it down through steaming, which basically you boil water and you have it in like a, a strainer over it. So the water itself doesn't actually, uh, It doesn't actually touch the broccoli, but the steam itself and the heat will actually break down the outer cellulose, the outer fibers, and make it softer and easier to digest. It's easier for your digestive system. So you steam broccoli, you can can add salt to it, but nothing else. No butter, you know, no, no fats. And you consume the broccoli. And then you see how you feel over the next few hours. Again, if you're having the digestive symptoms, the energy issues, the brain fog, okay, that's a sign you're not producing enough digestive enzymes, and, or, and and typically it's a combination, you have a bacterial overgrowth in your small intestine. You have too much bacteria in your small intestine, and a lot of these bacteria should be in your large intestine. And so that tells me kind of where, for some people, they're going to have problems with all three. For some people, they're going to only have a problem with one, but it helps us understand more or less, and these are, again, these are just at-home tests. Where the main issue is, all right and then we can start to address it from there. So for example, if I want to address stomach acid, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to have the person take some apple cider vinegar before and you just take that with water before a meal. okay? So you take a little bit of apple cider vinegar, like a tablespoon in let's say four ounces of water, you drink that before a meal. So if the person notices that they have stomach pain after drinking that, and they're like, "Oh, it's like a sharp pain in their stomach." After drinking diluted apple cider vinegar, it tells me that the mucus membrane, the mucus lining of the stomach, is actually degraded. It's broken down, and they may even have a stomach ulcer. And typically, that's going to become come from typically two or three things. One is overuse of NSAIDs like Tylenol, right? So if you're taking too much, you know Tylenol, aspirin, different things like that, it can wear down that that gastric lining. So that's one reason it could be number two is, and this is most common, is an H. pylori infection. So you have a stomach infection that has actually broken down the gastric lining and perhaps even given you an ulcer, right? So that's the first thing. If, if you, you know, respond really poorly to the apple cider vinegar, we've got to start by really addressing the stomach, the stomach environment itself and getting rid of the H. pylori and building the mucosal membrane of the stomach if you feel fine when you do the apple cider vinegar, great, because apple cider vinegar and water will help stimulate stomach acid production. It will stimulate bile production. It will stimulate digestive enzymes. All right. So that's, that's the reaction we're looking for. If you notice you have more itchiness, um, you have a headache. Okay. And you know, a lot of these things could be come from a histamine. You're not metabolizing histamines well. So apple cider vinegar is higher in histamines. Now a lot of people feel, feel fine with it, right? And they feel great. Like when I do apple cider vinegar, feel great. Helps my digestion. If I notice the headache, the itchiness, right? Things like that when I do the apple cider vinegar, okay? Then that could be a sign that, you know, I'm, I'm not metabolizing histamines well, right? And there are supplements uh, specific for that. There's, you know, certain probiotics that can, that can really support that. Certain B vitamins, B6, right? Can be, can be really helpful there. That's kind of a, a, an off-tangent conversation. But there's other ways that we can also help improve stomach acid. We can chew on some ginger root, right? So just taking some ginger root, chewing on that before the meal will help activate uh, stomach acid production. It's lower in histamines, right? And you can do both. You can do both things. Ginger tea can be really, really helpful as well, right? So that can be helpful. Slippery elm. Slippery elm tea can be really, really helpful. Um, so there's a number of different strategies. And then also just calming your body. A lot of people are eating really on the go. They've got their fight or flight uh, system elevated when they try to consume food, because um, they're eating on the go or they're stressed out, and that's going to be counterproductive. That, that's that's stress is the antagonist to good digestion. Meaning that when we're eating on the go all the time, we are in our sympathetic fight or flight mode. In order to activate these digestive juices that we need, we actually need to be in a parasympathetic mode. So we need to take some deep breaths. Right. This is why it's so important to. Uh, be in a state of gratitude and pray before your, your meal because that naturally puts you in more of a parasympathetic mode and that helps stimulate the digestive juices to allow you to metabolize the food more effectively.
1: At some point, we've all been sold a lie. And let me tell you why. In the 80s, we all believed more protein equals more muscle growth. Well, it could be a lie. And let me tell you why. Because if you eat eight ounces of chicken breast, then you're consuming about 40 grams of protein, but... Just because something contains 40 grams of protein, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to absorb all 40 grams of protein because without enzymes, guess what? It could end up all in your toilet bowl because your small intestines can only absorb protein that's been broken down into smaller building blocks called amino acids. So it doesn't matter if you're consuming 30 grams of protein or 300 grams of protein if you don't have have the sufficient supply of enzymes to digest the protein, then guess what? You're going to be starving for those vital building blocks. So it's really important that you take a high quality enzyme. So before you run out and just buy anything, guess what? I love Masszymes by Buy Optimizers because it has five different kinds of proteins. And that's what you need, all five of them. So, go there. Go to waste wasteaway and use the coupon code Wasteaway10, and you'll get ten percent off.
0: And so, um, so, anyways, that's you know one of the key things that we'll do there. Um, you know, if there's uh, sluggish bile, there's a lot of different things that can help with that. Artichoke um, or artichoke leaf is a really, really good one. Dandelion leaf can be really, really helpful. Uh, milk thistle. So supplementing with milk thistle can be helpful there. Um, something called Tudka, which is a supplement. It's a bile salt supplement. Also taurine and choline can be really, really helpful. So those are also bile salts. And typically- I when... tell you,
1: I, I have taken milk thistle mm-hmm. three times in my life. And every time I did, I literally broke out into hives all Mm -hmm. over my body. So like, there's like, like that of everything, like, that's like the one thing that I will not take just because, but it's gotta be, there's gotta be something going on in my liver or something that for whatever reason, when I take milk thistle, I- just break out in hives all over my body. It's the craziest thing. Like first time I was like, well, maybe it wasn't that, you know what I mean? But I've tried it like three times. So there's got to be something yeah, going on. Yeah. You may
0: on. have an allergy, you know, with if it's hives, that sounds like an IgE allergy reaction. And so um, my thought there is that you have some sort of an allergy there because you, you don't have the same reaction when you do dandelion, excuse me, dandelion or let's say turmeric, right? Because all of those help to push bile. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they help to basically contract the bile ducts. And so for some people who have gallstones, for example, when they take turmeric, okay, they get some contractions in their gallbladder and they feel worse, right? They, they actually have a lot of pain and they have symptoms. And so it's not necessarily a turmeric's fault, right? It's actually the, the the problem is the congestion and the uh, the calcification that's in the gall gallbladder itself, but the turmeric or the dandelion, right? They're actually forcing the contractions. In your case, hives would not be that a similar reaction. Hives would be more of like an IgE, um, you know, like almost like a peanut allergy, right? Where people will get peanut allergies. So it's a um, an immediate, uh, you know, po- potentially even possibly for some people, life threatening type of reaction. So that would be something I would avoid for sure in your case, but I would use artichoke, beet, right? Beets can be really good, or you can get supplements with beets. You can get taurine, choline; those are, are uh, bile salts that can be really helpful for thinning the bile. When people have issues with bile, it's because the bile gets too sluggish, right? And so when we look at bile, it, it's a you know basically it's bilirubin, which is kind of a breakdown product of red blood cells. It's cholesterol right so cholesterol with triglycerides and fats and then you have these salts which basically give it more mobility and and thin it out right and help it move and so when we have too much cholesterol and in in the actual bile and not enough salts when the cholesterol to, to salt ratio is high then it gets very sluggish and slow and why would that why would the cholesterol to salt ratio get high well it could be certainly not consuming enough, uh, you know, taurine and choline, and sometimes you know just poor amino acid metabolism. So sometimes, when somebody has poor poor uh, stomach acid, they're not able to break down the amino acids. That can contribute to it. Um, however, most commonly, it's it's due to hypothyroidism, because when you have hypothyroidism, your your body, your liver keeps producing cholesterol. So it's not really a dietary thing. It's not like I ate too much cholesterol or anything like that. Your liver keeps producing it because the receptors, the LDL receptors on the cells are not being activated, right? So they're less active because they need T3 for activation. So they need free thyroid hormone. And so because of that, your body, LDL is basically a bus. It's carrying precious cargo. It's carrying phospholipids and triglycerides and coenzyme Q10 and vitamin A and all these different fat soluble nutrients to the cell for healing, right? So the cells are constantly turning over and healing and we need some sort of carrier to get those compounds and nutrients to the membrane so it can heal. And that's what LDL does. So if LDL is not able to dock at its receptor, right? So it's like a boat, let's say, or a train, you know, and it needs to dock and then drop off its cargo. If it can't recognize or It's just not able to actually dock at the receptor. Then it just keeps circulating. And then the innate intelligence inside of our body says, whoa, we're not getting, we're not, where's the LDL? We're not getting the um, the cargo into these cells and these cells are really struggling here. We need more, we need more LDL, right? So it drives up the production of more LDL. And this is an issue. So when somebody has hypothyroidism, oftentimes, or even like a subclinical hypothyroidism where, where they're just not getting enough, uh, thyroid activation, but not to the point where they're diagnosed. Um, then they can get very, very sluggish bile flow, right? And and high cholesterol to salt ratio. So that can be a really big problem. And then also when somebody has parasites or dysbiosis or something along those lines, the parasites, if they're in the gallbladder or in the liver themselves, it will drive up inflammation in those areas, which can create more congestion. Basically, think of it just like inflammation that's damaging the duct. So the duct itself becomes uh, scarred, right? There's more scar tissue in there and that scar tissue can create poor flow, right? So that's one, one reason. And then the other reason is that they can create nutrient deficiencies and poor amino acid digestion and poor salt production, right? And so you'll end up again with more higher cholesterol to salt ratio and then also damage to the bile duct. So those are all things that we need to address. There's definitely supplements Different strategies that that can be used to help that. There's a gallstone flush that can be done, right? There's a lot of different things. But we just need to know uh, is that one of the major issues or is that not? Right. And, and, and then address it from there. And then also, you know, I talked about issues in the small intestine, whether it's digestive enzymes <clears throat> or um, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And what I find is that small intestinal bacterial overgrowth often goes hand in hand with low stomach acid and, and bile because bile actually is an emulsifier but it also is antimicrobial it actually it's job is to actually reduce the amount of bacteria in the small intestine so it helps kill off a lot of bacteria and stomach acid is also antimicrobial right so when food comes in gets into the stomach acid that kills off a good amount of bacteria particularly the alkaline loving bacteria the ones that don't like acid in order to digest something like a steak all right, so well, to start, your stomach acid right now like I haven't eaten a meal today, my stomach acid's probably somewhere between three to 3.5 on the pH scale. If I'm going to have a steak for lunch, I need to get that stomach acid down to roughly around 1.5 to 2.2. So even though it doesn't sound like a big drop, you know, it's only like one and a half points on a pH scale, it's actually very energy demanding to get there. And so I need, a, I need to be able to produce a lot of energy to get the stomach acid right. In order to break down that steak, and when I get the acid down to that certain level, there's not a whole lot of microbes that are going to survive that. Everything we eat, even if the steak just came off the uh, the stove, right, it's still got microbes. Like the moment it's exposed to air, there's a bunch of microbes on it. So our stomach acid, again, is supposed to metabolize them, you know, and get rid of a lot of them. But if I can't produce enough, a lot of them survive. They move into the small intestine. And then the bile helps get rid of the, more of the acid-loving bacteria and helps keep the overall bacterial or microbial load to a manageable level, right? And that's going to keep our immune system uh, functioning well. When the, when the microbial load, and it could be anywhere in our body, but you know, we're talking about our gut right now, when that overall microbial load goes above a certain threshold, when it increases, increases, boom, all of a sudden it's over a certain threshold. It sets off more inflammatory activity and more immune activity in our body. And that can obviously cause a lot of different, a lot, lot more issues. And that's, that's a survival mechanism. But over time, that can wear down the, the gut lining. That can cause, obviously, you know, inflammation, systemic inflammation throughout our body. So we need the right amount of stomach acid. We need the right amount of bile. And we need the right amount of digestive enzymes to help metabolize and break down the food. And so for different individuals, you know, they're going to respond to different, you know, different supplements or different Mm -hmm. strategies. Um, And so for some people, you know, digestive enzymes make a world of difference for them. For other people, bioflow support supplements make a world of difference for them. For some people, stomach acid support, right? Actually taking betaine HCL makes a huge difference. And they notice a huge difference. For some people, they kind of need a combination of all of these. And they may even need, um, you know, uh, a a a you know a parasite cleanse or a bacterial cleanse uh, to to just kind of reduce, get that to knock down that overall microbial load under the threshold, get rid of a lot of these things, and then support all those digestive juice pathways, so that way they can really digest and optimize their meal. And then you wanna you wanna kind of figure out also your prebiotic tolerance, right? And this is kind of the last thing in this conversation I want to, wanted to discuss was your prebiotic tolerance, meaning for some people, and I, I look at it like a, like a bell curve. For some people, they can thrive on, on a very high fiber plant-based type of diet, right? And they do great on that. And then they tell everybody, oh, this is what you need to do. Okay. Whereas other people... Um, may do really, really bad when they're consuming a lot of plant-based fiber, they do better on more of a carnivore style approach, right? They need little to almost no fiber and they feel amazing when they do that. And then most people are probably somewhere in the middle where it's like they want they do well with a certain amount of plant fiber, but not an excess amount of plant fiber, right? And there's a certain threshold that each person has and so you want to find out kind of where your threshold is. And so, you know, you're, you're listening to all these podcasts and they're saying, oh, you got to eat, you know, asparagus and artichokes and, um, you know, broccoli and cauliflower and all these prebiotic rich foods. But when you're consuming those foods, you don't feel good, okay? Um, and so you got to figure out kind of your threshold level. So as you get your digestive juices uh, back to where they, you know, optimized, Figure out the amount of prebiotics and the types of prebiotics that you just feel best with, okay? And so that could be some experimentation, right? And you may say, okay, well, this size salad, I feel good. But when I do a big salad, I feel bad, right? That would be an example. Or, hey, I do actually do really good when I consume like a little arugula and cucumber salad. But when I have like a bowl of broccoli, I don't feel good with that. So, you kind of experiment to figure out your threshold and the ones that you tend to do better with. All right.
1: Honestly, it's funny because the other day I've been really trying to up my greens. And the other day, I think I just went nuts. Like, I made like some sauteed kale, I made like this broccoli with sauteed onions, and it was just greens after greens after greens. And I was like, After I ate it, I was like, I mean, there was no reason why I shouldn't have felt like a million bucks, like there was nothing bad in it. And I was like, man, I must've just ate way too much of those. Cause so you're saying if, if you do that, let's just say you just have, like I did that day, I had the greens and I had kale and broccoli and this and that, and you don't feel good. Well, what are, what? what mm-hmm. is the reason why you're not feeling good?
0: Yeah. So just as long as, you know, you didn't have a ton of, to take out other variables, as long as you didn't have like a ton of butter or a ton of like fat in there, because then it certainly could be a bioflow issue if that was the case. But let's say you just have like this big salad, not a whole lot of fat on it, lots of vegetables in there. Um you know, particularly hot, what we call high FODMAP vegetables, which onions would be one of those higher FODMAP vegetables, which are highly fermentable. And so again, the, you know, there's a lot of health experts or health health influencers out there that will say, oh, eat you got to eat a lot of those, right? to Support your microbiome. But if for, for certain individuals, they just don't feel good with that, that could be a sign that, again, you don't do quite as well with a lot of those fermentable uh, vegetables, fermentable carbohydrates. So you got to figure out your, um, prebiotic or FODMAP threshold. And so it may be lower. So I would try a smaller salad or taking out one of the ingredients, maybe, maybe the onions, right. You didn't do quite as well with because onions are very higher, they're higher FODMAP. Right. So I would start looking at things like that and starting to try to figure out, uh, you know, your, your strategies around that. so good. Yep.
1: Well, I've got a couple questions that people have asked and I'm going to do a couple of short clips cuz they're mm-hmm. kind of longer and I'll take the point of them. So, this is one. She says, "I've gone way off the deep end. How do I rein things back in? Any advice?" Next one, starting a dry January and getting back on consistent intermittent fasting. Think I'm going to do a few days of fat first to help with all these sugar and carb overload. What do I do when I feel hungry during OMAD? Any advice or tips? And then the last one, please help. Seems like I have a snake in my stomach. I can't seem to get back on the OMAD wagon.
0: Well, I mean, there's a lot of different questions, but I I would say the summary of, of those would be, okay, I've fallen off track, right? Holidays came, fell off track. How do I get back on track on a healthy lifestyle? And I would say again, just starting by really focusing on real foods. Okay. And 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 looking at your portions, your overall portions. Even though, you know, Chantel, I think you're probably in in my camp uh, where I don't I don't spend my time counting calories. I think um nutrition and optimal health is really about hormone balance as opposed to calories. You certainly can consume too many calories. And mm-hmm. there's negative side effects to that. The main negative side effect to me is not weight gain. It's really digestive discomfort, right? And so if you're consuming too much, you might have more bloating, fatigue, brain fog, issues like that. So watching your portions, making sure that you're not consuming too much. And yeah, I would prioritize protein and healthy fats. I always say, try to get at least 30 grams of good quality protein, ideally from animal products, right? Grass and and ideally grass-fed pasture-raised animal products, 30 grams, if you're doing a lot of strength training, you might need a little bit more. I would imagine most of your audience is probably 30 grams would probably be really good. Uh, maybe like a you know a strength training man that's really trying to put on muscle might need 40, 50, or more. Like like myself, for example, I'll do sometimes 60 grams of protein in a meal. Um, but 30 grams is usually a pretty good pretty good range. And then roughly somewhere between 20 to maybe 30 grams of fat, healthy fats in that meal. Have that. And then from there, you can add in you know other things, maybe some colorful foods, you know things like that, and focus on that. So I always think of making sure we've got protein, fat, fiber, and polyphenols. Polyphenols come from colors, right? So whether it's you know tomato or bell pepper or um, you know fruit or something along those lines, right? Uh, extra virgin olive oil, right? Those are going to provide the polyphenols. And so making sure you get your protein and your fats dialed in, and then, you know, uh, set it up with some colors in your meal. And then you can just kind of watch and see how you feel, right? Um, if, if you know, you can experiment with the size of, you know, the, the portion of vegetables that you're consuming, you can experiment with the portion of the meat that you're consuming, perhaps, uh, again, you're having issues with stomach acid production, bile production, but this is a really good starting place is really prioritizing the amount of protein, the amount of fats that you have in there, and then kind of decorating it with, you know, the colors, the colorful foods, um, you know, uh, along with that.
1: All right, I've got another question from Serenity in Cleveland, Ohio. My entire body, my joints are hurting. I've cut out grains, but still my joints hurt. Every joint hurts. I don't want to do Advil or Tylenol, but could this be... Or what could this be of why my body is so inflamed? I read something that I might be zinc deficient and I'm curious about my copper level levels. I'm eating clean and I'm eating lots of olive oil and I'm not eating grains. What is the reason that I'm an inflammatory, inflammatory balloon right now, lol?
0: Yeah, and, and this is a very complicated question because there's a lot of things that could drive inflammation outside of just nutrition, right? You could have your diet dialed in, but perhaps you have gingivitis, you have um, you know, a, a root canal, or you have basically bad bacteria from your oral cavity that are now getting into your bloodstream and telling your body, oh, wow, we've got this high infectious load. So we got to drive up systemic inflammation throughout the system. So this is a common issue. You may be exposed to mold. You may have mold in your house or maybe your office or whatever it is, and you're breathing in mold and your body's not able to metabolize it effectively. That could drive up inflammation. Um, you might have gut infections, right? That can also drive up inflammation. You may have nutrient deficiencies, vitamin D deficiency, for example, that could per- perhaps uh, you know increase inflammation. So off the top, we don't know until we do a further investigation. Um, one thing that I like to do with people is, you know, and you can find it on my website. We have a comprehensive blood analysis, and we have health coaches that are, you know, trained. They're 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 experts when it comes to understanding patterns. Like we can we can actually understand parasite patterns off of blood work. We can understand heavy metal load off of blood work. Right? If you have, uh, you know, if you if you have a uh, perhaps a heavy metal toxicity. Um, we can understand a number of different things, right? Got dysbiosis just off of um, you know, this comprehensive blood analysis, right? Just looking at different patterns of biomarkers. And so that really helps. Obviously, there's other tests you can do, you know, to, to look in more detail at things. You can test your house for mold. Um, you can go to your dentist and look for you know, potential signs of gingivitis, or uh, maybe you've had a root canal. A lot of times these root canals are harboring. Uh, bad bacteria and you actually need a holistic biological dentist to be able to, to understand that. Most dentists don't. They just think the root canal is sterile and they don't even look at it or don't even consider that as kind of a root cause factor for chronic inflammation. But we've seen this over and over and over again where somebody has a root canal and it's not sterile and it's a breeding ground for bacteria and bacterial toxins. And when the Bloodstream when we have a certain amount, when we hit a certain threshold of bacteria, and or bacterial toxins, these toxins that are produced by the bacteria, it sends off this signal and the immune system goes haywire, right? And it starts driving up inflammation until that signal is reduced. If you sprain your ankle, you're going to have inflammation in the ankle until, uh, you know, basically your your body's able to kind of bring that down naturally as the the tissue heals. Well, if you have a toxin being produced that never that the body's never able to actually get because the immune system can't get into these little little, little pockets where the root canal is, um, because they don't have the direct blood flow there. But these toxins are being produced and leaching into downstream into the blood. Um, then you never actually address it. You never turn it off, and so it drives up inflammation. So there's a number of different root cause factors not everything is nutrition based nutrition obviously is a really really powerful tool that we can use to bring inflammation down to help optimize your health but sometimes we got to you know we got to look at other factors right in fact all in all cases we have to at least consider these other factors and uh, and and try to address those as well
1: Mm, so good. Well, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for being with us. Tell listeners where they can find you and where they can follow you.
0: For sure. Well, you can find me on drjockers.com. So just check that out, drjockers.com. I'm on YouTube. I have a great podcasts as well. Uh, Functional Nutrition Podcast, Dr. Jockers Functional Nutrition Podcast that you can uh, check out and subscribe to. And then I'm on Instagram, Dr. David Jockers, Facebook. So you can check me out there as well.
1: And guys, his website is literally like chocked full. I mean, the best articles. I mean, you can literally find articles about so much amazing stuff. I love it. They've got great, great recipes on there. You've done a fantastic, fantastic job on your site. So just literally, he just pours out so much amazing content on there. So make sure you go, to drjockers.com, and it's been awesome being with you guys today. We hope that you will be with us next time. Bye-bye for now.
0: Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, it would mean the world to us for you to leave a review on iTunes to get this podcast out to others that may have the same questions that you do. And as always, if you have a question that you want answered, email those to questions at chantelrayway.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.